Well, today is going to be a really cool thing. I'm going to have Ryan put up a, our mission statement again. Today we're going to speak, we're going to sh share with five people. Five people are going to share. We're going to keep them kind of to five minutes apiece or close to that or ten. We're going to try to get it all in. Um, but our mission statement says we're radical people and we're radical lovers of God. Can I have any men? And we have five people that you're going to hear from today who are radical lovers of Christ and they have been serving sacrificially in missions, and they did this year, and you're going to hear some of what God did through our people, five people from this congregation to the nations. Amen? Is that exciting? Because they have been going in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to call Michelle and Shelly up first. They're going to share what God did in Russia. We're going to hear from Jeff Hughes on India. We're going to hear from Robin Heidi Simmons as they went to Ethiopia. We're going to hear from Tabitha. We're going to hear from Joel. Five people who are giving their lives for the kingdom and they're sacrificing. So right now, will you welcome these two blondes, Michelle and Shelley. Bless them. Okay, so we're just going to share our testimony first and then we'll share what God did the whole time we were in Russia. It's pretty amazing what happened in five days because it took us like a day and a half to travel both ways. And so um, my testimony starts before I even went to Russia. It's probably been about a year that the Lord's been dealing with me um, about um, not allowing who he created me to be and what I'm doing to coexist, basically. I was made to be a risk taker, and I just shoved that to the side. And he said, you gave it up the American dream, which, you know, to me was raising my kids, having a great family, and just being normal, basically. And, <laughs> and he started dealing with me on that and um, late last fall. And so when, I, so when the opportunity to come to Russia came up, I said yes, and I didn't even know what I was saying yes to do, and I was really, really scared. I felt really out of my league and didn't know what I was doing. I don't even know what I'm going to do there. Why are you asking me to go? <laughs> and um, I probably couldn't have gone with a better person. Because <laughs> our unique relationship, we've been friends for 16 years, and so we've been through a lot. And so we're like family to each other, and this trip proved to that let that relationship come to the forefront and us challenge each other. Yes, we sure did, <laughs> And so um, one of the things that happened at the get-go is we had to leave at 4 in the morning, or 3 in the morning to be at the airport at 4 in the morning because our plane left at 6 to go to JFK. But we were at JFK all day long, and our flight for Russia did not leave until like 7 in the evening. So we're hanging out with Johnny, Pastor Johnny from Anderson, and we're in line to go to Russia to get check in, and they're checking our visas, and they tell him he can't go. They messed up his visas, but it was all written in Russian, and so nobody knew that his visa was messed up because they stamped it in Russian. He didn't realize that the stamp meant it was canceled. And so they had canceled his visa. And Shelly and I literally have like 30 seconds to decide what we're going to do because we're holding up the line. <laughs> and Shelly's freaking out, and I grab her by the shoulders, and I'm like, we're going I'm to Russia. I look at Johnny and I'm like, give me the rundown. How do we get there? <laughs> you know, and later she's just like, I could have used some compassion from you. I'm like, oh, you probably could have. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, 
But it, again, it was that risk-taking in me that God was dealing with with. I was not going to turn back. I'm just like, I've traveled uh, in foreign countries before. I know I can do this. This is your fifth trip. <laughs> you can do this. <laughs> and so um, that was the first thing that had happened to us. And, um, and so, um, but while we were there, like, we just, I had more obstacles to overcome. We literally got up at 8.30. We had to be out the door by 8.30 in the morning, and we didn't walk back in until 10.30, 11 at night, stopping nonstop, nonstop, every day. And I had never been pulled on in that way, and my brain being on and hearing from God nonstop for people all day long. I just wasn't used to that. And then, again, having that kind of confidence in myself that I can do that. And so the first part of the trip was a little challenging. And it, it was fun, you know, as you have the little successes in our first day there. Um, but Sunday night, we did a women's meeting, and this was my first obstacle. Um, Shelly, I'm wiped out my brain, and I didn't think I was going to do anything for that. I thought it was all Shelly. She said, oh, no, you can give your testimony. You can do it. Just share something for, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> And so I'm just sharing on marriage because it's a women's ministry and I'm just sharing testimony about my marriage and I realize something's going wrong between the translator and what I'm saying and what these girls are receiving. And they're asking these very odd pointed questions and all of a sudden my translator and this girl just go at it real harshly. And I'm just like, is this culture or is this? <laughs> She's upset, like what is going on? I'm dying a thousand deaths and I'm like, now's where I exit and get back on the plane, I'm done. <laughs> Because they were asking questions like, so, like, they just thought Tom and I argued nonstop. And I'm just like, what? I think they thought you fought. I'm just like, what? What are you saying to them? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, like, it really messed me up inside. But it was, and at the end of it, Shelly and our translators were like, that was so awesome. You did so great. God moved so miraculously. And I'm like, I don't feel that way. (laughs) Somebody clue me in on what's going on here because I'm still dying a thousand deaths inside. (laughs) I'm thinking there. But it was still good because at the end of it, um, all these girls came up to me and wanted me to pray for their marriages. And I kept telling the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't want a marriage ministry. And he goes, well, you got one. And I said, I don't want one. And he just went, well, honey, you got one. And I (laughs) I went, okay, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And... uh, um, but the next morning, I had woke up at 5 in the morning, and I'm still reeling inside because I'm just messed up, you know, going, did I misrepresent Tom and me? And are these people going to think horrible of us if we come back again? And so I just spent time with God, and we're out the door again. And um, I have to preach for 90 minutes straight that night, and my message is not together. And, um, and so we were supposed to have downtime the afternoon, but then Shelly needed my help. And... Um, I ended up doing emotional healing on her the two hours that I had to put my message together. (laughs) And so it's 5.30, and I'm supposed to preach at 6. Because the two-hour span was the only open window in that day that I spent with Shelly. And so 5.30 comes, and I'm losing it. I mean, literally, I'm just crying, bawling my eyes out because I don't know what to do because I'm just spent and overwhelmed. And Shelly's like, remember your triathlon and how God came in for you at the last minute when you wanted to quit? That's the same thing. And I'm going, 
I spent my two hours on you. <laughs> so glad you feel great right now. <laughs> but my neck is an immense amount of pain, and um, I uh, and and I'm overwhelmed. My brain, I'm tired, and I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm not prepared. And um, and the Lord kept on going. I'm not going to leave you, Michelle. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not. And at quarter till, Sveta, our uh, um, translator, she's also a massage therapist, and she had promised me a massage that week. And I grab her, and I go, I'm in so much pain. I need your help. I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, so she gives me this chiropractic adjustment, and instantly all my pain leaves. And I'm just like, okay, okay. <laughs> and um, I'm literally walking to the pulpit, and I'm still crying and telling myself to pull it together. <laughs> Going, God, all I can do is trust you. <laughs> I'm going to trust you as I do this. And it was the most amazing time. Like, I talked for 90 minutes straight, and it went flawless, and I just listened to the Lord the whole time, and he showed up in a very powerful way, and it was amazing. And I learned something about myself that, and we just don't realize it that we truly rely on ourselves more than what we think we do. We, th we want to tell ourselves we're relying on God, but we're not. Not in the way that he is asking us to. If I had been here to preach, I would spend hours and hours and days and days and days on my message, and I didn't have that time to spend on that message. Because um, I needed to, I had the message together, but it needed to be cut apart and redone and simplified because of translation and because of where they were at in the Lord. And so I just didn't have time to rearrange any of that, so I had to do it. it and the Lord helped me do it on the fly. Um, and so it ended up being really good, really good. And um, the rest of the trip, I just kept on saying, Shelly, we're just leaving it all in Russia. What do you need? What do you need? Because <laughs> they also threw things on us that we weren't prepared to do. Nobody told us that they wanted us to do that before we came. And so when we got there, they wanted emotional healing training, and we had not brought any of that stuff with us. We thought we were just coming to do sessions and um, support, support yeah. to the team that was already working there. And so Shelly had brought this little, little thin book. <laughs> I'm like, that'll work. I said, you've taught this enough. You got it. <laughs> and, so, and we really only had like an hour and a half to pull our messages together for that. And um, I could have dumped it all on her, but I said, what do you want me to teach? <laughs> um, and so the amazing thing was that these people were so, so hungry, amazingly hungry. I mean, it's Monday and Tuesday night. Seminars start at 6, and they don't end till 10, 1030 at night. And those people sat there on a Monday and Tuesday night. And I thought maybe 5, 10 people would show up. No, there were at least 30 35 people there, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I, they sat there taking notes the whole time and asking questions and wanting to know. And that just blew me away. And sorry, like, not to say anything bad or to create, I'm not kind of, but that's, that's not where America's at. That kind of desperation, that kind of hunger. If that would have happened on a Monday night and a no-name person came in to pe preach for four hours, would you have came and sat and listened to them? I mean, that's... That's, that was eye-opening to me. It was amazing because they didn't, they knew Shelly, but they didn't know me. And, um, and you can tell they love Shelly. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was just awesome. Um, 
and before I left, I was doing, <sighs> do I just tell you about all the things we did? Okay, so we did, um, just so you realize, in five days, we preached two times each. We shared testimonies twice each. We conducted two seminars, two hours each. We did impromptu healing training for two sessions, two hours each. We did eight emotional healing sessions, 18 personal prophetic prayer times, and we had conversation with Russian students learning English in five, five days. And that was just, you know, it won't, it won't, this is the first time that this level of deliverance and healing was brought to them. And so we dealt a lot with the occult and witchcraft. Mm -hmm. That is like, we're talking like witch doctor, witchcraft, casting hexes and spells, because Buddhism and shamanism is so high there. And Shelly and I knew too much. We we're like, you want this healing, but we got to deliver you first. And, and so they were willing to, and people, We'll give you the list here in just a second after Shelly talks, but people were experiencing emotions they've never experienced in their life. They were getting instant healings in their bodies also, and it was just phenomenal to watch these people transform right in front of you and be so grateful and so hungry, and, you know, they would stack these people one after another for us to pray for them in half an hour increments, and Shelly and I would spend two or three hours sometimes with one person because we knew too much. We just weren't going to let them do a patsy prayer and hope for the best for them. We were like, no, this is what you need. And it always worked out well in the schedule of everybody that was coming to see us. And there's some specific testimonies in that that we want to share, but um, it was just phenomenal. So, so, so this, another th major thing that happened to me before we were leaving, um, I was just trying to spiritually clean myself up before leaving. I just knew too much to go. I'm not going to think that nothing's going to try to follow me home or not be on me from doing all this deliverance work. And um, so I was just cleaning myself up spiritually. And I literally, I was just going down the list of things that I knew and that was coming to me. You have to go. You can't follow me. I don't want to be a partner. I'm not partnering with you. I'm, you're not a part of my life. Go. And literally the hairs on my head stood up. And I was like, oh. I got delivered of something. <laughs> something left. And um, Sveta uh, gave me her, she gave me what she called a medical massage. And it was amazing. Like, all the pain in my body left that comes from my back and my neck. And, my, and, um, and I had no pain even in traveling home. And even when I got home, and I really had no jet lag either. I recovered like no big deal. I took one two-hour nap in the day, and that was it. And um, that's huge for me. I mean, I, I, th I was because I had so much back pain coming over. I literally felt like my backside was bruised. It hurt so bad, and my neck was hurting so bad. And um, I thought, so I was, ex you know, I just was like, well, when I get home, I'll just have to go to the chiropractor. No big deal. But I had no pain. Like I just couldn't believe it. And God literally had done something in me. And it's not, the pain hasn't come back, and it's just awesome. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to give my version to the airport story. <laughs> so um, 
I, you know, I've been, this was my fifth trip to Russia. So you really would think that I was a pro and that I wouldn't have any fear involved or anything like that. But, um, vulnerability moment. Thanks for opening that up today. Uh, that was awesome. Um, I have been in probably the darkest trial of my life, and that's saying a lot if you know my story. Um, I have been battling fear, and I don't know why. And you would think that I'm a courageous person, right? You, you think that. And, um, but something has happened in these last couple of months that I have been under a serious attack. And it has been so hard. And I did not want to go. I did not want to go. I mean, I was having panic attacks that would last hours upon hours. And um, anyway, so I was like, I, I knew I knew I should go. My leader said I should go. My husband said I should go. You know, all of this. I know that I was supposed to go, but I did not want to go. And um, because I was afraid that I would have a panic attack on the airplane or I was afraid that I would I mean it was just crazy uh, the mental state that I was in I felt like I was Elijah hiding from Jezebel in the cave I really truly did it was horrible torment and um <clears throat> I did a, a week-long thorough format RTF before I left thank you guys <laughs> which got me to the place where I stopped having panic attacks praise the Lord <laughs> But I was still battling a little bit of fear. I just kept having to hold it off. And so I prayed this prayer. This is the prayer that I prayed, which is why I had this moment in, in um, JFK, was I prayed the prayer, Lord, if, you, if I'm not supposed to go to Russia, just hang up my visa or something. Like, let it, let it be nixed. <laughs> and so then, so anyway, but it, I, I get to this place where I'm like, no, I'm supposed to go. I know that this, that this is a spiritual attack. I know we're coming up against the spirit of Jezebel when we go to Russia because this whole place is entrenched in witchcraft. I was recognizing that I was just under a demonic attack, and I am going to go. I am going to do what God has put me on this earth to do. I'm going to make my kids proud. You know, I'm going to do this. Like, I am, I am going to obey the Lord. And so I get on that stupid plane, and I go. <laughs> and so we're standing there at the JFK airport, and that's when Johnny's visa got hung up. And so that's when I was like, well, wait a minute, Lord. It's Johnny's visa, but not my visa. But maybe we're, can we just pray? I just kept going, can we just pray? Can we just pray? Can we just ask Jesus first? Just, just take a minute, five seconds. Let's just check in with him. Are we still supposed to go? <laughs> and uh, that's when Michelle grabs me by the shoulders and she goes, we are going. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so anyway, so we do, we make this quick exchange, but I, we get, we get through security and we're sitting there at the, um, at the terminal and I am just trying to process, you know, I'm trying to process because all of a sudden it's taken all of my might and all of my strength just to get packed it to go on this trip. I'm not prepared fully. I'm not fully prepared. So now I know that if Johnny's not there, I'm the go-to person. And I've got to pre now I've got to preach on Sunday. It's going to be all me. I've got all these things that I've got to do. And I'm sitting there like, oh, fun. I'm not ready. <clears throat> but I put on my headphones. Thank you, Joey, for loaning them to me. I put on my headphones and I just start cranking. I think the song we sang today and, um, I'm just cranking and listening and, um, that one and prophesy your promise. And I'm just weeping as I'm looking around the airport because I'm looking around this airport and I'm looking at all these people who are speaking all these different languages and all these people who do not know Jesus. 
And then I became overwhelmed with this thing of like, it's not about me. It's not about my stupid fear. This is about making you famous. And I am supposed to spread your word and set the captives free. And these people are in so much bondage. Get your butt on the plane and do what God's asked you to do. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I grabbed a hold of the teeniest, tiniest little ounce of courage that I had left that was straight from the Holy Spirit. And we got on this stupid plane and we <laughs> made it. Thank you for helping us. And so anyway, and of course, then we get there and, and they are, <clears throat> I know that, okay, so we've got to preach on Sunday morning, but the Lord gave me a prophetic word for the region. Like, I mean, that night, and it was just like, it just came to me in like no time. Oh yeah. Da -da -da -da. You know, God's grace was on it. And where is Eric Morgan? Thank you for that word that you sent because I clung to that thing. The fire by day, no, cloud by day and fire by night, that thing, I clung to that thing. And thank you for your prayers, you guys, because we were so weak. We were so physically weak. The other part of the, my health problem was that food made me sick. All food made me sick, and it was hard for me to eat things. I mean, I was just really in a mess physically. And, um, and so thank you for your prayers because it sustained us. We, were, we really were outside of our comfort zone, and it was crazy. So then the day that Michelle used her time to minister to me, thank you, was because I started thinking about the journey home. I started thinking about traveling back home, and I don't know why that created a lot of anxiety for me in any way, but the Lord ended up supplying somebody who spoke English who actually escorted us everywhere that we went, and it was just the coolest thing because it was just thinking about being, you've got a four-hour car ride with somebody who does not speak English, and then you go to this airport where the people who work behind the counter don't speak English, and then you're going into this next airport at Moscow who is gigantic, you guys. This, this airport is huge, and we had, like, no time to get from one place to the other, so it was just crazy, and this woman, the Lord sent it was an extra passenger in our taxi. So we get in the car to leave, to go home. And there is this English speaking woman in the front seat and she escorts us to where we're going. She translates for us at the, um, at the airport. We get up there, she's going to Moscow as well. She gets us to where we're going in Moscow, all of that because God loves us and he is amazing and he provides, I swear she was an angel. Her name is Bogan, she's up there and it was just awesome. Okay, so do you wanna hear the meat and potatoes of what it was accomplished? Go. Oh, you want me to do? The list. Yes, the list. Um, a woman's back was healed after she was delivered from witchcraft. Uh, two people returned to the Lord. One's name was Victoria, who received deliverance and saw a vision of a rainbow for the first time in her life. Um, and she had never connected with God that way before. There was a man named Sergey who had been away from the Lord for a year and a half. And he prayed that God would give him a prophetic word. And he just happened to show up at yours. Was it mine? It was mine. It was the next generation. He showed up the first thing in the one of them. Anyway, he showed up to one of our seminars. And um, the Lord gave me a prophetic word for him. But he had prayed that God would do that, that he would get a word. And he returned to the Lord. Um, there was one girl who um, had a dream. Oh, yes, that's right. So this dude named Sergey, this man named Sergey, um, his wife is Buddhist, and he got saved a few years ago. And his wife is Buddhist, and she got mad that he became a Christian and um, took his kids from him. So he's been without his kids for a couple of years. And so he's turned away from the Lord because he's angry because, you know, he can't see his children. And anyway. He came to the seminar night telling the Lord, give me a word. And Shelly had it on her heart, and she started ministering to the guy, and everything she said 
brought confirmation to his heart to come back to God. And I think he drove like 40 minutes to get there. He wasn't nearby. Yeah, it was so cool. He left the city and everything when he decided to leave the Lord. Yeah, it was crazy. So um, there was a lady there named Tasha who had had these um, a consecutive amount of prophetic dreams. And um, it, the interpretation of it was that she had a, um, a generational curse on her life. And we took it and broke that off. And then the next night she had a dream um, about moving into this new house, which to her signified that the Lord had broken that from her. It was the uh, generational curse of, of witchcraft. Um, there was a lady named Dinara who received emotional healing, and she experienced joy and freedom for the first time. Is that the one? For the first time since she was a child. Um, this woman named Vasima was delivered from a familiar spirit in the occult. A lot of people there operate under what, what we would call a familiar spirit, which is basically like talking to... Um, yeah, spirits to get knowledge, and I know something before it happens kind of spirit, but not from the Lord. It's it's a familiar spirit, and um, she was delivered from that and the occult. Okay, so Tatiana, this was the big one. Tatiana is Pastor Velodia's wife, and she apparently used to operate under a familiar spirit before she got saved, and so after she got saved, she never, ever wanted to operate in the gifts of the spirit because she never wanted to tap into that thing and so that church was basically shut down from the gifts and um, they liked for us to come in and they were cool with us doing prophecy and healings and things but they never they really didn't think that they could do it they just thought oh well that's for the missionaries that come in and they never really wanted to operate in it well Tatiana which is pastor's wife um, we had a prophetic time where we prayed over her and I think it was Michelle that said you need to stop hiding it's time to stop hiding and then we one of us had a word that she had the gift of healing and the Lord, bega- she came, She was stone cold when we gave her the word. I mean, her face would not have, uh, I was like, ooh, I hope you're receiving that. But um, she stewed on it that whole day, and she became, she, she got to understand that, that that gift that the Lord had put in her before that she was operating in under the, like, tapping into the familiar spirit, the gift was really from the Lord and that God still wanted her to use it. And so she got up in front of everyone. You don't understand. She got up in front of everyone and she doesn't do this. This woman hides. She stays, stays hidden. Yeah. And, um, she got up in the front after one of my, I think it was my seminar. She came up to the front in front of everybody, grabbed the microphone and was like, I want to pray for these women. I believe that God has given me a word of knowledge about healing for them. And I want to pray for their healing. Not even kidding. She prayed for my stomach and she prayed for your back. And I think your back got better after that. It did. And so, I mean, she starts operating in the gift of healing while, and words of knowledge while she's there. And then walking to the market that day. Yes. And the Lord spoke to her while she was walking to the market. And it was just, it was huge that, um, so pastor Velodia, um, he's also this hard Russian man and he actually stayed for all of our sessions, took notes, stayed there processed it he got up after the session and talked about um just how grateful he was that we were there and how we didn't need johnny and it was really cute he's like you guys don't need johnny you guys are just fine by yourselves and and um it was just so funny it was cool um there's just a lot of things that have happened there that are different than what i can see every time i go there that things have changed more and more um, we were asked to um, to do an impromptu sozo training. So I did sozo training the last time I was there, and I did it for both churches because we ministered to two churches while we're there. We ministered to the Love of the Lord Church and the Salvation Army Church. 
the Salvation Army Church ran with it and have been doing it for the last year. And so when we're coming, we're thinking that we're bringing support, like bringing um, support to them. And um, but Pastor Velodia was like, no, I want you to do a training again. So I do we do an impromptu Sozo training again. It was just crazy. So anyway, um, and then this woman received oil in her hand. This is man received um, the fire of God in his belly. There was just lots of physical healings that happened. Sveta's he- knee was healed. Um, it was just cool. And we did a lot. So, yes. yes. And one thing I can say is that um, I truly believe they have the same DNA as us. Yeah. As much as we brought, they welcomed. And... Um, there's going to be more opportunities to go. So you just need to pray and ask the Lord what part you're going to play and us bringing his revelation to them so that they can take off and do in that area what they're called to do because it's a very desolate land. that The landscape even shows spiritually what's going on. It is not a pretty place. Every place we stopped at, I was like, is this safe? You know, <laughs> like because it's not a place I would have stopped at in America. But it's just what everything looks like. And so they desperately need God, and these people want God. And so, and I feel the DNA structure of their church is the same as ours, that they want what we have. And so um, we have a lot to give to them. Sorry, we went long. All right, praise the Lord. Going in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Rob and Heidi, come on up and share about Ethiopia. Where are you? Kind of give us the abbreviated since we're running a little late on time, but they went and got to be with her, and so they're going to share what happened in Ethiopia while they were there. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you saw the video. I don't, do you, did you get slides of this? Were you able to get that going? So I don't know. We'll see if that does. If not, you see those on, uh, on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, we uh, were there. Our first ministry really uh, was to Tabitha because even though she's all bubbly and everything, she she was uh, homesick. And so we had some really great ministry with her and catching up and, and loving on her. And uh, Of course, the big main ministry was uh, Hopi Ethiopia, which is, a uh, as Tabitha shared, an orphanage, uh, uh, one of many things that they, they do. But we, were, we stayed with the hosts who were also the founders of Hopi Ethiopia, Ralph and his wife. Glenda, Glenda, yeah, and uh, so that was the main thing, and, the, and out of everything that happened, and working with the kids and everything, the thing that God was showing me was, and, and it was through something that Ralph said on the first day, was, was to see them, and I knew what he was talking about, because then he went on to explain, but so many, the kids and the people in the, in the, uh, in the villages, or the people in the village, they were like forgotten, they were they, they didn't even think that they were <laughs> worthy of anybody uh, because they were so poor and um, and unloved. And even worse, that people would not, not see them, worse was that people would pit see them and pity them or despise them. And uh, so what Ralph said and what God showed me was that we were, I was just supposed to see them through God's love and through Christ's eyes that because they can tell. They can tell if you're looking at them with pity. And that's not what they needed. They needed somebody to look at them with love. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. And, and the kids really responded to that. Um, to me, it was, it was a lot of fun. Even in the first day or two, um, the kids would come back. And, the, you know, when they'd come back to where, where the, all the parents were, and they would run in and, 
hug me and, and stuff. Rob, Rob, <laughs> you, you Tabitha's dad. <laughs> and then the, and it, we just had a great time. Heidi says they were just after me because of my iPhone, because they, they like to play in the iPhone. They, they were really, they found stuff on there that I had never seen before. <laughs> games, I'm talking about games and things. <laughs> um, so that was the thing, seeing them, that was the main thing for me. And, and then not only that, um, just to, um, God was showing me, and I think it was also through a message during the week, was to see the one, um, because there were so many people, and you wonder who you can minister to and how, because we went into the big city, and there was like ev everywhere, throngs of people just begging for money. They would, we would be in a bus, and they would be pounding on the windows, you know, money, money, and it was crazy in the village it, it was a four-hour drive just to the village the remote village and they were um a lot more content i mean they were happy happy people even though they had nothing you know but to see the one and we got back from um and so we did ministry and things but we got back to the hotel on before the night before the airport and um i was looking out our window and it was just uh, the same thing so many people in a big city that were just they were like beggars and or there were the rich. There was no, no in between. It was either rich or the begging. And um, so I was looking at her like, I want to minister to somebody before we leave. And there was one lady. She was probably in her 80s. And it's like God just highlighted her to me. And she was not begging. She was just, she was sitting on a corner, um, just huddled. You could tell she was homeless, probably in her 80s. Uh, but she, and every now and then somebody would drop a coin. But mostly um, people would just pass her by and they weren't seeing her. So... <laughs> So I went down. I told, "Hey, I got to go talk. I got to go talk to her." So I went down and, and went across, walked across the street, and I gave her some money. But I, I sat down with her, and she didn't understand me. But I was, I was starting to, you know, Rob, you know, and what's your name? She would tell me her name. But um, she, it was the first time that she looked up, and all the, I was probably looking out the window for, I don't know how long, but she never looked up, even when people dropped money. So as soon as I got there and we started trying to talk, a lady came by and says, would you like me to interpret? And uh, she was there with her son. And so I got to minister with her and, and told her I was a Christian. And mostly I wanted to hear her, you know, about her talk. And so she, she told her story through the, through, the, uh, through the interpreter. And I asked her to pray for her. And she let me pray for her. And it was just it was an awesome time. But it was just to see the one and to see them and to see her not with pity was it, that's the biggest thing I got out of the whole thing. So, hmm. Boy, this is really hard because uh, I'll probably cry. <laughs> this was more of an emotional journey for me. It was very difficult. Um, because um, going into it, I had him praying for me because I was getting really panicked. And I like control. <laughs> and having something to do relationship is difficult for me unless i'm working and <laughs> we were supposed to be going we were supposed to be working on houses and all this stuff that i can do i'm like i'm ready for that <laughs> but it was rainy season <laughs> but we couldn't we couldn't do anything but relationship and that was really hard on me and on top of it, then I ended up um, struggling with being sick. I mean, out of the, the five, six days we were there at the ministry, there was only one day I wasn't sick. And uh, so it was really, really 
Um, I, the thing that was funny is I was, I was like, you know, I like to check off boxes. I like to say, oh, I accomplished this, I accomplished that. And I wasn't accomplishing anything. And I was like, what am I going to tell everybody? Because nothing really happened to me. I didn't see anything happen. And uh, there were people, like, um, of the parents, there was somebody that got born again. The kids, like, the, these kids that are Tabitha's traveling with are amazing. I mean, they're, spur of the moment, they're ready to minister. And it was wonderful being with them. But I was personally struggling to say, what am I going to tell people? Because I didn't accomplish anything on this. And <laughs> then I thought, oh, well, they didn't pay for what I paid for, so <laughs> who cares? <laughs> I don't have to own up to anybody. <laughs> so it was like I was saying, what does it matter? Because it's me that I, I needed to work on me. And it wasn't really, um, as, we, as we went through that week and I was struggling because, like, they were connecting with the kids. And first of all, I had a splitting headache for three days. I wasn't connecting <laughs> with anybody. But, um, the, and, and for me, uh, you know, we're sitting there and these kids are all over the place and paper airplanes all over. And I'm a let's be one-on-one -on -one and quiet kind of person, <laughs> not everything everywhere at, at once. So. Um, so, uh, but he and Tabitha, of course, they're in their element. They're having a great old time. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what am I to do here? Because <laughs> it was definitely, if they would have said, here, take a hammer and go do that, I would have been fine, <laughs> you know. But, um, but I struggled with that. But um, as, as I was going through and, you know, sorting, sorting this out, um, it was really toward the last couple of days as I'm watching, and especially as we we're driving the bus back, and then the next day we did a tour of the place, the people, I mean, just the love that I felt for the, the people. As in the countryside, they literally, all they have is a mud hut. You, you saw that picture. It is, that is what they live in. And they're happy. They were waving at us, happy. Happy as can, love talking, you know, not talking, because we couldn't translate, but loved seeing our faces. And, uh, and, and uh, so then when we went to the city and we did a tour, it was like, a rush of God's love just kind of fell on me for these people because they don't need the stuff that we have. All they needed was Jesus. They're happy. In fact, the stuff would probably ruin that love for Jesus because all they needed was Jesus. So, so it was a real struggle for me. I came back, continued to struggle, get sick, which um, I have been healthy for so long, so that really was not... I, I mean, I don't remember the last time I was ever sick until then. So that really threw me off. But praise God, he's been <laughs> sustaining me. So, Amen. so. Thank you, Robert Heidi. Appreciate it. It's neat because the mission trip is sometimes more about what God's doing in us even than what he is doing over there. So powerful stuff. Jeff uh, Hughes, come on up, buddy. He went to India and did just obeyed a prophetic word. God had given him a prophetic word years ago about uh, going to, to, to a dark skin. And uh, I was so proud of him jumping out of the boat and taking risks. And so we're going to let him share what God did. I'm going to step up here so I can set my notes down. Uh, I may end up just reading most of this just to keep us uh, on time here. But uh, so, yeah, last January. Uh, I went to India. It was a 15-day trip. Um, I've shared my testimony with a few of you, but I never got a chance to share it uh, with the whole church. And I actually, I don't have time to share everything because I mean, it was 15 days. So I'll try to recap some of this. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Many of you gave personally to help me go on this trip. 
I never spoke to you and said thank you and uh, forgive me for that, but I am grateful to you who supported me in this because um, you invested in me and uh, your generosity blessed me. So if, uh, if you would have asked me as soon as I returned, and I did share this with some of you, uh, I found this trip exhausting and difficult. I went expecting to be used by God, but I left feeling like I wasn't, uh, kind of a lot like what, what Heidi was sharing. At times, I felt helpless and powerless. There was several barriers. There was a language barrier. We had one main interpreter, uh, Pastor Mequon. He came here and shared that one time. He was our main interpreter, and uh, it turned out we didn't know it at the time, but the whole time we were there, he had walking pneumonia. Uh, and so he was very tired, very sick the whole time. And so it was, it was a barrier to be able to even communicate uh, uh, with people. Um, it was exhausting. We literally went house to house, church to church, covered about a thousand miles of the countryside, uh, city to city. We were probably in a cramped van for about 30 to 40 hours over that 15 days. Um, it was go, go, go. It was, you know, minister, eat something, travel for a couple hours, minister, eat something, travel, sleep, get up, do it, the same thing every day for about 15 days. Um, I was sick for a few days. Um, so back in January, if you would have asked me, uh, do I want to go back to India? <laughs> uh, the short answer was, I don't know if I would. Um, at the time, you know, I came back, I was all mixed up when I got back uh, after this trip. And I even began asking God why I went since, but since then I've, I've spent a lot of time in prayer and reflection on the trip. Uh, and even now I'm beginning to see some of the fruit. It, it changed my perspective in a couple ways, and so I'll try to explain some of that. Um, just to give you a little bit of background on India, about 2% of the population in India is Christian. About 80% is Hindu. Uh, the majority of the rest is Muslim. Um, there are some formal Christian denominational churches in India, Lutheran churches, Catholic churches, uh, Methodist churches. That they're part of the 2%. Um, and the Hindus, they don't mind these churches uh, because they keep to themselves. Um, most of the formal churches, they're, they're filled with uh, generational Christian families. And, um, you know, we ministered in several of these churches, and they're filled with Christians who are afraid to share their faith. They keep it to the family. Sharing the gospel openly in India risks a beating. If you, if you preach in public... You're, you're bound, you're, you know, you'll see a, a gang of Hindus come up and start railing against you, and you'll risk a beating. Uh, even in some parts of the country, not where I was at, but there's, there's been Christians who have been persecuted to death. Um, if you're a Hindu that converts to Christianity, you're risking your livelihood and even being disowned by your family. And again, in some cases, even being killed. So... The formal church in India, the denominational churches, it has become very stagnant. It's become very inward focused. It's become very just family focused. So there's no spread of the gospel in these kinds of churches. However, when uh, the most of what we did with our traveling is we went to house churches. And, and meeting these new Christians, they were actually Christians that were converts from Hinduism. And that was a joy to see them. They were meeting house to house they were so hungry for God and his word. They were always smiling, always happy, filled with joy, and filled with hope. You, you would not 
let me under, let me help you understand the hope. You know how I I said that in public you risk a beating for sharing the gospel. Well, what's interesting is in private, when you invited Hebrew or Hebrews Hindus, in private they were very open to hearing about Jesus because there was nobody around to see that they were listening. You know, it was a public thing. It was kind of a mob mentality in the public, but in private they were very welcoming the message. And the reason they're very welcoming is because Hinduism is a polytheistic religion. They have literally millions of gods. Everything is a god. And so when they hear about this god Jesus, yeah, add him in. You know, he's another god, let's add him in. <laughs> but the trouble, the trouble comes when you start sharing with Hindus that Jesus is the only god. Apart from him, there is no other. He's the beginning and the end. And that's where it's hard for them to become accepting of it. But the message of the gospel that resonates to a Hindu is the hope of the gospel, the hope of an eternal life. Because in, in Hinduism, you've heard of karma, you've heard of reincarnation. This is what they believe. And so your next life depends on how good you are in this life or how bad you are in this life. If you're good, you move up the ladder to a better person or thing. And if you're not good, you move down. And so in Hinduism, there's no hope. You're doomed to be lost forever in this cycle of life and death, life and death, until maybe in the eternal future, you might become good enough to reach the pinnacle. And so when, when as a Hindu, when they would sin, it was just utter despair because they felt like karma was going to deal me a bad, a bad card out of the deck. I'm stuck now, and my next life, I'm going to be worse. And so they're, they're hopeless. But when you share the gospel, hope. It was hope. It is good news. It's, I can be forgiven now, and in this life, I can have hope and an eternal life. And so seeing people respond to that was, it really was amazing. Um, I was able to share my testimony a couple times. I shared in one of these formal churches to about three or 400 people. Um, I shared a message on yielding to the Lord and really trying to press them to move out of the church. Pastor appreciated the message, but even he doubted if anybody would actually uh, move and do it. So the, the people in the house churches, they were filled with hope. And it changed me to see a group of people hungry for the word, hungry for God, eager to learn, eager to be taught. It was amazing. They were not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, I didn't realize until we almost finished the trip, but most of the house churches we went to were all related to a single family. It all started with this one lady named Jay Shree that Mech, Pastor Mechwan uh, ministered to, and she was saved, and she has spread the gospel to her family. And so over that course of a 1,000 miles, we met every single one of her siblings and her mom and dad. Every one of them has their own house church. She has spread the gospel to her whole family, and they're changing the neighborhoods and in the cities. Yeah, I meant to bring some pictures, but I left them at home this morning. Um, the people there are just beautiful. The color is amazing. If you've ever seen pictures of people in India, the colors is just brilliant colors of the, the way they dress the way they decorate everything it's just a brilliant looking uh, people so something else so we started off the trip in Mumbai 
Um, this is what really impacted me. Uh, one of the things that really, really impacted me. We're, we're walking around Mumbai the first couple days, and there are just people everywhere. Kind of like what Rob said. Just people everywhere, weaving in and out on sidewalks, on roads. Literally, if you were to stand and spin in a circle, you were going to touch somebody. During the day on a city street in Mumbai, you were take one step and you'll bump into somebody. Let me explain. So New York City is a big city, right? Eight and a half million people. Mumbai has 19 million people in about a third of the less area. It is just packed. The U.S. has 300 million people. India has 1.3 billion. So they have a billion more people than we do here. A billion. So we're walking around that day on a way to go somewhere. I think we were going to, uh, um, uh, we were visiting a home for, uh, they minister to prostitutes and people who are, are in brothels and such. And uh, I'm walking around and I do what, uh, you know, what we do. Lord, who should I talk to? Who needs to hear the gospel? You know, it's like a treasure hunt, right? All these people, Lord, who's your treasure right now? Who do I stop to and talk to, God? And he answered me clearly, and he said, anyone. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but it, anyone. They are all lost. Reach anyone. And I got to tell you, in that moment, I've never felt such emotion. I mean, I was stunned, I was convicted, I was filled with compassion, I felt helpless, I felt powerless, I felt shame, and I walked away. I just kept following where we were going. All those people and nearly every single one in sight needed the gospel. The pain of that fact I mean, it was intense. I mean, let me be honest with you. I do not prioritize the gospel in my life. It is not an intentional part of my walk with Christ. I came to realize for too long, I've used the Holy Spirit as an excuse to not share the gospel. You know, God didn't tell me to stop and talk to that person. That guy wasn't on my treasure hunt list. I'm looking for a guy with a beard, and he looks clean shaven. You know, I'm looking for the tall guy. He looks short. God, if maybe if he turns around and comes back to me, then I'll talk to him. I mean, again, the number of people in this country that I have stopped and shared the gospel with on my own, I can probably count on a single hand. The gospel has not been an intentional part of my life, and I want to ask you, is it part of yours? There's a billion people in India, more than here. Uh, they're going to hell. So, you know, I returned from this trip distraught. 
and um, and I think that's part of why I haven't shared about it until now, because it it took months of really praying about what I experienced. I mean, the the joy of being in the house churches and, and sharing my testimony that was great, but just the to think of all these people and. Uh, I begin to think, and I want to challenge you, I want to challenge our church. Are we like the formal churches in India where we've become stagnant and inward focused and concerned about ourselves instead of the people who are out there that need the gospel? You know, before India, God was asking me to yield to him as Eric shared, and I said, yes, I just wanted to obey. And now, after going, he's deposited something new in me. That, that conviction that I felt that day when I saw all those crowds of people, it's really led me to the Great Commission and understanding the go and make disciples of all nations. We cannot be consumers. We have to go. It is not enough to sit here and come on Sundays. We have to go. We have to reach people. We cannot be inward focused. We have to be outward focused. You know, before India, I had willingly been ignoring Jesus' command to go and make disciples. I did, I've been ignoring it. But if we were completely honest, it's, there's no excuse to not go. It's just simple disobedience to not obey that command. You know, seeing the love and the passion from those Christians changed me. They, they weren't scared in the face of possible persecu persecution. And I want to obey now. I want to obey all the gospel, not the convenient parts of the gospel. I want to obey all of it. I want to spread it here at home. I want to make disciples here at home. I want to spread it around the world. So, I'm not sure that God sent me to India to minister to anyone. He sent me halfway around the world to minister to me. Amen. Well said. Well said. Calling all people to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. We need to get out and we need to go. I'm going to show Joel's testimony. Joel's sharing. Joel's in Africa right now. It's just a couple minute clip. I do ask for you guys uh, to pray for him. That, uh, that people group that they're going to, about six weeks ago, they took a bunch of food to him, to, to a village close to this village, and uh, they started unloading cr cases and cases of rice and beans. And when the people started to see that there was not enough food, they start jumping up and down and they start chanting. And the leader said, we've got to get out of here. And so they closed up the truck, took off, and they started throwing rocks at the truck. And because they're, they're starving, there's been, a, there's been a typhoon that has just wiped out the villages. And they're going in there feeding these people because of this relief. And so when they're in there and they, they, they're starving and they need to feed their kids, they started getting mad that they didn't have enough. And so 
they left. Well, that, 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 that evening, another tribe came into that village, and they literally slaughtered the village and took the food that they had just given them. And so it is a really, it's a, they're, they're, Joel needs prayer and the team needs prayer. Uh, Iris Ministries is really struggling right now because of this whole thing. And um, they actually had about 120 people on the Irish base, Iris base that Joel's at right now. And um, they, 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 there's only 30 because of the safety issue. So Joel really needs prayer. The whole team needs prayer for protection and everything. But Joel also needs a lot of finances. I'll just be honest with you. We've already given about several thousand from Karenizm, uh, but he, this traveling he's doing is thousands and thousands of dollars. And I just want to make you aware of the need uh, because it is, he has to raise like $14,000 and he is nowhere close to that. So if the Lord prompts you or puts something in your heart to support him on the mission field, you can literally give in the offering here anytime to support Joel, but there is some radical preaching of the gospel that's going on. And all these five people that have just shared today, what cost to bring revival, to bring the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit to the unreached people group? I praise God for the five people that have just shared today. That they are willing to sacrifice and, 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 the, and the transformation that takes place inside of us when we surrender it all for the gospel when we surrender it all and and church we are we are we are lazy and we have gotten into coasting and the call that jeff just made to us is for all of us awaken bright awaken your first love for jesus because devoted people serve and sacrifice greatly amen and so please stand with me as we close out the service did that encourage your heart guys if you do give the lord some praise Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, more, more, more. I pray for revival in this church. I pray, God, for radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people who will love deeply, who will serve sacrificially, who will speak truthfully, who will live holy, who will go globally in the supernatural power, in the supernatural power, in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, calling all people to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, we thank Thank you for the ones who have gone. We thank you for those who have supported financially for all these trips. We thank you, God, for the sacrifice that has been made. And I pray, God, that you would awaken our hearts, that, God, you would put the go back in our hearts of Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you always. Father, as we commit this service to you, God, as we leave the doors, yes, we're going to go past some salsa, but God, may we take the gospel to Newcastle and everyone we see, that God, we would put the go in our own heart and look for the treasure that you want us to speak to as we leave these doors. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the Livingstons, God, that you brought to us today. Bless them. And Father, we just seal this time of prayer for the glory of your name in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Go. Be blessed. We love you.